Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. But we'll begin today with our scripture lesson, uh, which comes from Luke 8, 26 through 39. And this story is typically referred to uh, as the Gerasene Dominiac. And you'll understand what that means in just a, just a moment. So I invite you to hear these words of scripture, Luke 8, 26 through 39. Then they, they in this case is Jesus and his disciples, then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And as he, being Jesus, stepped out on the land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He did not live in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. And so Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there were on the hillside a large herd of swine was feeding. The demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. And so he, Jesus, gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and they entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herd saw what had happened, they ran off and they told it to the city and in the country. The people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. All of the people surrounding the country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. And so he, being Jesus, got into the boat and he returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged him that he might join with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home, declare how much God has done for you. And so he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Let us say together. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Yes, God, it is with thanksgiving in our hearts that we gather today. As we reflect on the week past, as we prepare for the week to come, we give thanks that this hour and this place have been set apart, a holy place, a place filled with your spirit and your power and your presence. As we come here and as we worship, as we fellowship, as we gather around these ancient words, we ask again that your spirit would draw near to us, that we make ourselves available to you, that you might shape and reshape us this your hour according to your will. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, sometime in my training, sometime I went to a class or something, and I was introduced to this phrase, and probably some of you have heard it before as well, organizational drift. Organizational drift. And that's a phrase probably that comes mostly from business or business school, business training, but it's a phrase that's easily adopted by other groups as well. It could be education, could be nonprofits, or of course it could be churches. And so I remember hearing a speaker talk about this organizational drift, that organizations that have been around a long time, organizations that are large, often uh, sometimes uh, have challenges, have struggles, have temptations to drift in different areas, and they don't necessarily stay focused on their mission. Because they're so large, they take on many different side projects and so this this particular coach teacher was challenging us right to be aware of organizational drift and one way to challenge that one way to counter that is through a strong mission statement 
right? And you're all part of uh, companies, you're a part of groups that almost all have mission statements. And the reason that we have mission statements is that we hope those will keep us aligned, those will keep us focused and he- keep us going in the same direction, uh, as opposed to drifting from one, one thing to another. And so I brought a few mission statements with us today from major companies that you would recognize. Uh, Tesla, their mission statement is to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Right? So that's their guiding statement. Everything they're doing in their company ought to be geared toward that in some form or fashion. PayPal, to build the web's most convenient, secure, and cost-effective payment solutions. Right? So everything PayPal does should be geared toward this mission statement. Nike, to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. And then they have a little asterisk. If you read a little further, they say, anyone in a body is an athlete. Right, so when they say athlete, they mean all of us, right? Inspiration and innovation. Uh, Patagonia maybe is a company you're familiar with. They make outdoor clothing and equipment. A lot of people wear Patagonia sweaters, uh, camping stuff, hiking stuff. Uh, But their mission statement's a little more involved. To build the best product, to cause no unnecessary harm, and to use business to inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. And so Patagonia is not only an outdoor company, but they really consider it part of their mission to care for the environment. And so you can read more about that. Patagonia is often praised and celebrated uh, for its work just beyond its business. Of course, the United Methodist Church has a mission statement. The mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Right? So everything we do at every United Methodist Church ought to be geared toward that, making disciples for the sake of the transformation of the world, and hopefully that's true for our church as well. And of course, local churches like ours often have their own mission statement. Ours, our slogan, our mission statement, love God, serve people, make a difference. And you see how that kind of fits in with the United Methodist mission statement as well. I invite you to be thinking about organizational drift and mission statements as we frame today's story, and particularly as we frame today's story with respect to the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke's Gospel is a little bit different, as they all are. Uh, Luke, of course, begins with the Christmas story that we often read. You know, you know all this, the Mary, Elizabeth, Luke, Joseph, you know, Christmas, that's Luke 1 and 2. And then Jesus grows up really quickly, and he goes into the wilderness, and he's tempted, and then he returns home. And so in Luke 4, we get this important story that's unique to Luke 4. Now, this was not in the reading today. I'm just reminding you of how Luke begins because I think that's really important. In Luke 4, we get this important story where Jesus comes back home, comes to his home temple, his home church. He joins worship, and he joins in the reading of the scrolls, and he takes this particular scroll from Isaiah, and he picks it up, and he stands up, and he reads it. And so Jesus is in a synagogue, and he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is from the prophet Isaiah, but Jesus stands up and reads it and essentially puts these words in his own mouth, right, from Isaiah, and they're now about Jesus. And Jesus proclaims to his home church, this is why I am here. And not only does he proclaim it to his home church, but but Luke is telling us as readers This is what the story of Jesus is about. This is how you should read the rest of the Gospel of the Luke uh, in this lens. That Jesus has come to bring good news to the poor, to set the uh, release to the captives, to bring sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the Lord's flavor. Did I say flavor right there? The Lord's flavor? I was thinking about those sonic drinks, wasn't I? The Lord's favor. Chase and I are still pretty sleep deprived, so please forgive us of anything we say silly this morning. 
So this should, be the, this should be the mission statement for the Gospel of Luke. Like, this is it, right? Proclaim, release the captives, sight, sight for the blind, release for the captives, uh, let, the, let the poor be cared for, uh, Lord's favor. This is everything else that will happen in the Gospel of Luke will be read through this lens, right? So after this, Jesus begins his ministry. He starts recruiting some disciples. They begin to follow him. Uh, he begins to talk and teach and heal and so on. And then in Luke chapter 8, we get that famous story where Jesus invites the disciples onto a boat. There's wind and waves. There's a storm. The disciples get really anxious. Jesus calms the wind and the waves and things are better, right? And at that point, they're on the other side of the lake, and that's where we're reading from today. Now, that's an important change in the story of of Luke's gospel because up until now, uh, everything that Jesus has done has been centered in Galilee, Galilee being uh, regions of, of Jewish people, right? Jewish descent, Jewish religion, Jewish faith. And so the disciples that Jesus have recruited, the people that Jesus have healed, all been Jewish people, right? But when we cross the lake and Jesus calms the storm, we're now in the, in the city of the Gerasenes, which is a Gentile area. This is a big moment in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus has left Galilee, and he's gone to the Gerasenes in the Gentile area. And as soon as he arrives, he's encountered by this man with unclean spirits. And so we have this wonderful story where Jesus begins to have a little dialogue with, with these unclean spirits, and he calls them, he calls them out of the man, and, and he tells them, you know, they're going to go into these swine, and the swine are going to run off the edge of the cliff and be drowned. And so Jesus heals this man. So all the things that are going on here, Jesus has calmed the waves and the wind as they cross the lake, so Jesus has power over the natural world. That's one thing we've learned about Jesus. Jesus has entered into Gentile territory and has now taken power, taken control over the supernatural world, the spiritual world. And it's not only that, but these demons who talk to Jesus, they seem to know who Jesus is. They tell him, like, don't send us back to the abyss. They sort of negotiate. Let us go into the pigs, you know. And so lots of things about Jesus' identity and Jesus' care and, and, and Jesus' mission are sort of coming to fruition here, right? including that Jesus has entered Gentile territory. That's a pretty dramatic shift in the story. Jesus himself is a Jew. He's been working with Jewish people. Now he's in Gentile territory. He's casting out demons. He's healing people. So, you know, the love and mercy and ministry of Jesus is sort of on full display, right? All of those things that Jesus said about himself in Luke 4, they're happening here in Luke 8. Right? He's going out to the oppressed, to the captives, to the sick. He's healing them. He's setting them free. Like everything we had read about Jesus, here it is in the healing of the man with the demons. Of course, we have the man himself. The description of the man in Luke 8 is really graphic um, and a little bit disconcerting. It tells us that he was so possessed by these demons that he, he no longer wore clothes. And because he was so, uh, so possessed and so out of control, the community had bound him with chains and shackles. And because he lived in this way, he wasn't able to be in a regular home. He lived among the tombs, right? in the cemetery, essentially, among the, the rock-hewn tombs. And so you can kind of picture what's going on here. This is someone that the community has decided is a danger and a threat, and so they've sent him outside of the community, and not only outside of the community, but they've bound him with chains and shackles. It's a really graphic and, and challenging scene. And then he's tortured by these demons, and, and they say, and Jesus asks, asks him, you know, what is your name? And, and the man doesn't even speak for himself. The demons speak for him. Like, he's so inflicted, he's so overcome by this, by this torturous demon spirit that, that they speak, and they say, our name is Legion because we are so many, right? And so we don't even get the man's name, we don't even get his full identity, we don't know his background. He's just kind of this vessel of, 
of evil and, and pain and fear. And so he's been chained and he's been locked out of the community, essentially. And then, of course, the story changed. We have this wonderful moment. Jesus brings out the demons. You can look up these paintings. I love this painting. Look at him. He's like, he's like spitting out these, these little, little dragon bats. Do you see them? Uh, and they're flying out of his mouth, and they're flying into the pigs, right? Uh, and Jesus makes this happen. And so he heals the man. And, of course, the pigs end up dead. That's sort of the cost of business in this story. But uh, the man is healed, and it says in the next few verses that he is now seated by Jesus, and he's in his right mind. It's really a miraculous story. It's a wonderful story, and it's a story of Jesus' mercy and healing and power, and it's a story that speaks to anyone who kind of finds themselves afflicted maybe in this way, uh, maybe with a long-term illness or long-term challenges or, or spiritual or mental challenges, and we can sort of see ourselves in this man, right, overcoming an impossible obstacle in and through the power of Jesus Christ and his mercy and grace. So it's a wonderful story. Until the other people show up. Did you catch that? The swine herds who took care of the pigs, they were obviously concerned that all the pigs had died. And so they go back to the city and they tell everyone, hey, you should come see what happened out here. We got dead pigs. We got the man who used to be tortured by demons sitting and acting normal. Like, you should come check this out. And so Luke tells us that part of the story really clearly. When the people came from the city in the country... They saw what had happened. They saw Jesus. They saw the man who had been possessed, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was reading that story for the first time, what I thought was going to happen is it was going to say, they were so happy. They were relieved. They were excited. They were thrilled. They were, they, it was a wonderful time. There was a big celebration. Everyone applauded Jesus and, and shook the man's hand and said, it's so good that you're healed and you're better. We're so happy for you. This is a great day for our community. No. Instead, they were afraid. In fact, they were so afraid that the crowd of people came to Jesus and said, we think it'd be best if you left. We think it'd be best if you just went ahead and left. And Jesus really doesn't argue with him. He just gets back in the boat and leaves. Now, the man is sort of impressed with Jesus. He says, maybe I should go with you. And, the, and Jesus says, no, why don't you stay and continue to tell people what has happened? And so this man, this unnamed man who's been healed by the, by the power of Jesus, he becomes the first missionary to the Gentiles. He stays there in his country. He goes and tells them what Jesus has done, despite the fact that many there uh, were not pleased with Jesus and his ministry. We did have a wonderful week at Ozark Mission Project. You saw some of the pictures and videos there. I thought I would tell you a few more details. Uh, big, big thanks to you as our church for hosting and helping. Uh, we had folks providing shower houses. We had people uh, delivering tools and supplies and drinks during the day. We had people working in the kitchen. Uh, we had people helping with construction and, and all of that. Uh, we had our own adult drivers who were going out with the kids every day and staying here at the church at night. And then we had about 45 to 50 youth here uh, all week as well. So we think approximately we had 125 people uh, working this week in some form or fashion, bringing food, tools, uh, working on the job site. It was a really awesome week for our church and for the people who came to work with us and for our community. Really, really neat, and I hope you, you felt like you were a part of that uh, because we did a lot of great work this week, and, and certainly it was an important time of ministry.
Uh, we, we learned at the end of the week that we were going to have a very young camp, and mostly junior high kids, and I was super anxious about that because uh, I wasn't sure we would get all of that work done, um, but they came through in a big way. They worked as hard or as harder than senior high kids and, and really, um, really led the way. So it was a wonderful camp in that respect. I thought I would share with you the details of the projects. We did four uh, house painting jobs. We did seven uh, work on handrails. We built four wheelchair ramps. We built two porches. Uh, and then we did some yard work and cleaning at five other homes. So 23 homes uh, were cared for in our community uh, this week, some in really significant ways. People often ask me, you know, how do, how do you choose where you go to work? And, well, that's, that's kind of a complicated thing. We, we try to find jobs that fit our skill level, right, the skill level of our volunteers and our youth. We find, find jobs that we can afford, right? We can't do everything because of the cost. And then we try to find a variety of things, paint, yard work, construction. And then we sort of put all that together in a big matrix, a big table. Of course, everything has to be safe and appropriate. And so it, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a, a, a nifty task to make the week come together in the right way. Some of the houses we went to are not particularly in, in terrible shape. I mean, we helped people who have resources, who have means, but they may just they may just have an obstacle. Right? They need their house painted or they need their yard mowed. They just may have something that they can't take care of themselves, and so we're able to help with that. On the other hand, we went to a few houses this week um, that were incredibly uh, challenging situations, really, really, really serious poverty. Uh, we, we built a wheelchair ramp at a house for a gentleman who told us he hadn't been outside in 10 years, had essentially been homebound for 10 years with, with very few resources. Uh, we helped at another uh, wheelchair ramp where the lady who lived there didn't have any running water. Uh, her, parent, her family would bring her buckets of water uh, to use as needed. Uh, this is not far from Paragould. We helped a lot of folks who had no air conditioning. I mean, that was kind of standard, uh, particularly this hot week, people, people without air conditioning. And it's really uh, unnerving uh, to see some of those conditions. Um, because I'll just confess, you know, most of my time and energy, my life, my work, I really don't intersect with those people and those needs very often. But then this week is a, is a really strong reminder of the poverty uh, and the challenges that many people face not far from our church, within a few miles. And of course, as I'm there working and we're building ramps and we're trying to help the people, you just begin to reflect, like, what happened? You know, how did these people end up in this situation? Uh, what, what led to this 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 problem, this challenge, what were the circumstances? And then, of course, what, like, what role did we play in it? Like, what could we have done? What could our church have done, our community have done to, to have helped before it got this bad? And it's just kind of a reminder of the ways in which people do sometimes get forgotten and get pushed aside and end up on the edge of society uh, and are not cared for in the way that they should be. The story in Luke 8 is one of my favorites. It's very, it's very powerful. It's very challenging. It's, of course, a story about Jesus and his power and his mercy and his love. That's the main point, right? It's also a story about those who stand in need of healing, the man possessed by demons, those who stand in need of physical, spiritual, mental healing, and Jesus' desire to heal them. And so that's, of course, the other point of the story. But the, the point that I keep coming back to, the part that bothers me the most, is the crowd of people who are disappointed in what Jesus has done. And the part I struggle with is I read that text and I, I wonder, like, what are they afraid of? Because that's what the text says is they're afraid. Why are they so afraid that Jesus came to them and healed this man? Like, why are they, what is there to be afraid of? And I think there's just something about these, these crowds, and maybe there's something about us as well, that, 
when we feel like we have a little bit of control over society, when we kind of understand how society works, when we understand who's on the lowest rung and who's in the middle rung and who's on the top rung, we sort of like things to stay the way they are. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have empathy or we don't have concern. It doesn't mean we don't go out and help. But there's something about the world as it is that we sort of like, particularly if we have a, a place of comfort in it. And it's a reminder when Jesus goes and heals this man, I, I think the crowd was, was maybe wondering to themselves like, wow, if Jesus healed this man and brought him back into our community, like, what else is he going to do? Like, is Jesus really going to, like, let all the oppressed people go free? Is Jesus really going to give sight to all the blind? Is Jesus really going to care for the poor? And, and like, we're not going to have any more poor people or any needs, and, like, everything's going to be equal and, and even? Like, is that really, do we really want that in our community? And I think the people in the Gerasene community, they concluded, no, we really don't. We don't want that here. Jesus, we'd rather you just go on. There's something about what Jesus says in Luke 4 that sounds like good news. Recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to care for the poor, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And yet we read over and over in the Gospels, particularly the Gospel of Luke, while that sounds like good news, it is not celebrated by everyone. That many people, particularly people with power and authority, they receive Jesus' ministry as a threat. You're going to do what now? You're going to set all the oppressed free? You're going to give all the poor what they deserve? You're going you're to make everyone cared for? And eat? I don't know, Jesus. Jesus' mission statement in Luke 4 is no secret. He says so clearly what he came to do. To heal the sick, to care for the poor, to bring sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free. He didn't say that he came to make our lives better and better and better forever and ever and ever. He came to care for those on the bottom rung of society, uh, and he invited us to join him in that, even if it challenges our lives a little bit. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Let us pray. Holy God, we give thanks for the testimony of those in Scripture who knew Jesus and knew his power and mercy and love. God, we confess that we have often been those who stand in need of Jesus' healing, Perhaps even in this room today, those who need to be healed in mind or in heart or in spirit, those who need to be healed physically. And we pray that that same power of Jesus that is celebrated here today in Luke 8 would be known to them. And yet, God, we confess that we often find ourselves among the crowds, suspicious of Jesus and his ministry, suspicious of his goals and his work. And so we pray that you would shape our hearts as well that we would be all in, that we would be fully committed to Christ and his healing work in the world. These things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.